I thought that this would be a very appropriate message for us. I'm saddened that I can only take about three or four minutes per point because I want to give you 10 responses, 10 principles, 10 things that you and I ought to do when affliction comes according to Psalm 119. Now, people have asked me through the years, who's the author of Psalm 119? And here's my best educated guess. I have no idea. And neither does anyone else. Some think David. Some say possibly, even probably not. Some others think that it could be one of the other psalmists who's already penned some psalms in the Psalter, the 150 psalms. We don't know. I have a dear friend, a seminary professor, Dr. George Zimick, who thinks it might have been Daniel, the prophet Daniel. Talks a lot in Psalm 119 about those who were against him, those who were wanting to, to run up against his life and his ministry, and that he was asking the Lord for deliverance. Now that sounds like Daniel in a sense, but we don't really know. But here's what we do know. Amazingly, not every single verse we're going to go over but the vast majority of them, I think at least seven out of the ten, have the word, at least in our English text, affliction tied to it. Affliction. And so what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to take your pen, your highlighter, and I want you to circle these verses as we go through them, underline them, highlight them, so that as you have already gone through, if you are going through now, or you will yet go through affliction, which includes all of us, you and I will be comforted by the Word of God from Psalm 119 in what to do when that affliction comes into our lives. And it will. Even the old Puritan said that God's chastisements are our advertisements. Advertisements of His mercy and His grace through the work of His Word in our lives. So I want to go over these ten with you. Because these are amazing principles from God's Word. And here's what you ought to do. You've got the, the opportunity for this acrostic that you can write out before you. And what I'd like you to do is take each one of these and direct them heavenward. These are, these are ten verbal ideas. These are ten action concepts. So that you and I can take these ten principles and we can... We can thrust them upward to the Lord as prayers of not only the acknowledgement of who He is and what He does in our lives, but prayers when we are specifically going through affliction in our lives, in our family's lives, in the church's life, in the country's life, as it were. All of these areas are ripe for us to shoot these prayers heavenward to God as a way of saying to Him, I want to obey what you have tasked for me to do in my life of affliction. I want to pray to you. I want to take these principles and I want to push them back to you in praise and adoration. And I also want to make these my prayers and I want to be instructed by them from your sovereign hand. And so here they are. In fact, the acrostic, as you can tell, is the word affliction. And here's the A. Awaken my soul 
according to God's Word. Awaken my soul according to God's Word. This is a, this is a prayer request, right? But it's also, as I said, a verbal idea. Uh, in a sense, I'm teaching my heart to do something. When I go through affliction in my life, when you know someone that you love who is, who is going through an affliction, a severe affliction, then one of the things that you can encourage them to do is to have an awakened soul according to God's Word. Look at verse 25 of Psalm 119. Here's what it says. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your Word. I wish I had more time to develop this. We'll do that as we come on Sunday nights to Psalm 119 because there is too much here related to God's Word for which you and I need to be instructed. And in verse 25, here's what the psalmist says about his own experience. My soul clings to the dust. I'm from the south and I've told you before that we have a saying there that I'm as low as a snake's belly. That's, that's what he's saying. My soul clings to the dust. You can't get any more down than that. You're, a, you're among the dust creatures when you're that low. And so what does the psalmist ask for? What does he say? What's his prayer? Here's his prayer. Lord, as my soul clings to the dust... Give me life according to your word. Your translation may say something like this, revive me. Uh, bring life out of me. You ever had that uh, punch in the gut that was so hard, so visceral in your reaction that you don't know if you can go on? That punch in the gut has come to us recently. It, uh, it is no respecter of persons. And this punch in the gut could be any number of things. And when you're as low as the very dust itself, when you're actually clinging to the particles of the earth, no wonder the psalmist prays and says, Lord, revive me. Give, give me life. And not just give me life so that I can climb out of this mess, but give me life according to what? Your word. Your word, because God's word is life-giving. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, that word is able to penetrate, to pierce, even through uh, joint and marrow, even to judge the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. That's what we need. We need God's word to be able to penetrate the, the lowness between my frame and the dust. I need, I need God's Word to revive me, to give me life. So here's what I do. I cry out to the Lord and I say, awaken my soul according to your Word. Lord, I, I, I'm near death it seems. Some of us may have been near death, physically speaking. Some of us may be headed there. And the rest of us, 
even spiritually speaking, are in a place in which we have nowhere else to go. It's all an opportunity for us to look up. And we say, Lord, give me life. Revive me according to your word. That phrase, my soul clings to the dust, could actually even be translated, I am humiliated. Revive me. So that's principle number one. Awaken my soul according to your word. Only God's word can give you the life that you need when you are at your wit's end. Here's the next one. Fortify my strength. Fortify my strength according to God's word. Fortify my strength according to God's word. Verse 28. Verse 28. Notice what the psalmist says again about his spiritual life. My soul melts away for sorrow. Sorrow could be translated grief. It might even legitimately be translated affliction. My, my soul melts away for the sake of the affliction of my life, for my sorrow, for my grief. Could even be translated this way. My soul weeps because of grief. I'm not an overtly emotional person. My kids could probably tell you that they've only seen me maybe five or eight or maybe ten times in, in our lives where I am just bawling like a baby. Except, of course, for this past week. Where I've wept and cried before the Lord more than I ever have in my entire life. Because when you have a life partner who is who is everything to you on that human level, who's your partner for life and, and ministry. And, and when you hear that sort of jolting news that there, there may be a plan in which that soulmate, that helper, that counterpart, that perfect complement may not be with you, that's, that's the essence of what this is saying. My soul weeps because of grief. So what do you do? Well, what's your response when that happens? Here's the response. Strengthen me according to your word. When you don't have any strength, when, you're, when your physical life, when, when your spiritual soul seemingly is at that place where you can't get any lower than the very dust of the earth, what do you do? What do you say? How do you respond? And here's the answer. Lord, strengthen me according to your word, which means I go to your word. There have been these sweet times where Beth will say, read, read scripture to me. And, and you read scripture and you're revived. You're, you're, you're lifted up. It's life-giving. It's health-giving. My soul weeps because of grief. It melts away for sorrow. Lord, the only way that you can come to me in strength is according to your word. Is that what you do when you have grief beyond measure? Do you grab your Bible? You know, we have so many ways to access the Scripture in our lives. Have you grabbed your tablet? Have you looked at your phone? 
Have you taken the, the paper pages of your Bible and, and seen the, the tears drip on the page? Take comfort, my friends, because God's Word will give you the strength that you need, not for tomorrow, but for today. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Today is where the strength is most needed. And He will give you the strength according to your word. My soul drips with sorrow. Cause me to stand. That's the idea of strengthening. Cause me to stand. And, and that's so wonderful because in this Daleth stanza, He says, my soul clings to the dust. So Lord, based on the strength of your word, cause me to stand up off the ground. Pull me from the the fetal position and put my feet on a solid place and do so in the strengthening power of your word. Fortify my strength according to your word. The second F in our acrostic affliction, fix my comfort on God's promised word. Fix my comfort on God's promised word. Psalm 119, verse 50. Here's a verse to memorize. Here's a verse to highlight. Here's a verse to underscore. Psalm 119, 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. That your promise gives me life. Here's what's so grand about Psalm 119. Except for a couple of verses, at the most... A couple of verses. 176 verses that extol the Word of God and so many synonyms about the Word of God are displayed in this poem of praise to God's holy Word. And this particular word, promise, is one of those synonyms. It's something like this. God is true to the bond He makes. God is true to the bond He makes. What kind of bond? The bond of His promise that if indeed I am to be comforted in my affliction, it will be because your bond, your word, your promise gives me life. You know how the New Testament says, it is impossible for God to lie. Anybody take great comfort in that? Anybody ever had someone tell you they would do something and they failed? Of course we have. Have you ever promised someone something and you failed to do it? This is is a God who is true to His Word. And His Word, the psalmist says here, is His Word of promise. I promise to give you life. I promise to make you stand. I promise to lift you up in your grief. I promise to give you comfort in your affliction. I promise to give you life if you avail yourself of my word. Now this is, this is nothing but pure, unadulterated, promised truth from God's word. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. I've seen God's Word and its true promise being given to me even in this time of affliction when you're looking at an absent future 
with a spouse. That's, that's a promise from God's Word. You say, well, wait a minute. Aren't you praying that she will live longer than, than you? Absolutely. For these kids, for these grandkids, of course. That, that's, a, that's a righteous prayer because I don't know what God's will is. I can say, Lord, I don't know what your will is, so here is what I want your will to be. But in wanting your will to be that, I, I submit your will as over against my will if it is not to be. Because that's the best way to pray. And when you pray, you are banking on the promise of God's Word that it will give you life. Life from the trials. Life from the difficulties. Life from the affliction. And not just the absence of, of, of affliction, but the presence of comfort. The presence of comfort. You see, God doesn't just take away the affliction. The psalmist says here, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life, and in that life is comfort and joy regardless of the outcome. See, that's, that's something the world knows nothing of. That's when you, you talk to doctors or, or nurses or, or specialists who are caring for your body, and if they don't know Jesus Christ, you just want them to say, tell me the truth. Tell me, tell me what awaits. T tell me what might happen. Tell me what could happen. And, and I'll do that which only Christians can do, and that is to hope in the life to come. You see, Beth and I aren't worried about death. Uh, we're not uh, tainted by it. We're not bound by it. We will live again. This, this uh, soulless body of ours, when we're separated at death, that soul will live on forever and we will be in the presence of the Lord. And that's far better. That's far better. We, we have... We have great anguish of soul, and I don't want to minimize that at all. We have great anguish of soul when our loved ones are separated from us in death. But that's not the end. That's not the end. This little, this little Luke Bodden, this little 10-year-old gem of a life, this, uh, this evangelist who, who shared the gospel with everyone who came into his path, this little boy is not dead. He lives. He, he's in heaven with his Savior, with, with the glorious saints, praising God forever and ever. And one day, one day, the body, the body which is, is here in this grave, is the body that will be resurrected one day and joined to that soul, and that body shall be glorified. Every disease, every terror, every harm, every difficulty, the, the, the losing of your sight, the losing of your hearing, the losing of your mind, all of those things that even can sometimes precede death, they will be miraculously and gloriously transformed into a body for which we will be fit for eternity forever and ever. This, this earth is not the end. If you've got your trust and your confidence in this world and who you are and how you're living then you're of all people most to be pitied. Because this is not the end. Our God will give us a glorified body and a glorified soul so that you and I will one day be with Jesus Christ and His glorious body.
This is, this is the promise that God has told us. All of those promises are bound up in what He says right here. Number four, learn how affliction produces my obedience. Learn how affliction produces my obedience. Now, this is a hard truth. Look at verse 67. This is a hard truth because we don't want to think of affliction this way. Verse 67. Here's what the psalmist said. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Now that's a hard truth, isn't it? It's the kind of truth that we, if our theology is not straight, we don't like to think about it that way. Because we have this idealistic view that I, I should never have problems. I should never have difficulty. And that's what the world does not understand. They assume that every time they hear of this uh, massive crash, uh, this uh, quote-unquote natural disaster, uh, these fires of Southern California and the destruction of homes, if not even the destruction of animals and, and even the destruction of lives, uh, when people hear of such things and they experience such things and they watch such things on television and they say to themselves, how could a good God allow this? If he's such and such and so and so in his character, how could he allow such a disaster? Such a, 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 an incredible fury of force. How could he do such a thing? How could he allow it? Here's the answer. Before I was afflicted, I did what? I went astray. God's God's afflicting work, my friends, includes bringing us back to where we need to be. And if we aren't going through some level of affliction, I suspect that every single one of us would do what? We'd go astray. That's what man does. That's, that's his nature. And that's his choice. We don't want God to rule over our lives we, we want to be in control of our own destiny. We want to call the shots. We want to be the people who say, I'm in charge, even to our Creator. And the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And I think it implies for us that when I availed myself of your word, I learned obedience from my astrayed condition because your word has brought me back. Your word has curbed my appetites to be wanting to be in control of my circumstances. Do you know when you get a diagnosis? Do you know when a family member is hurting? Do you know when a car crashes? Do you know when someone's hurting? Do you know in an instant, and I'm sure you do if you've experienced any of those things and more, that we are not in control? We're not in control. And your own mortality screams at you that you're not in control. No, nobody has control. No, no one on this planet has the ability to say no to the worst circumstances. Not at all. And I think what God does is He brings people to a place where they get to a, to a circumstance, uh, to a, a fork in the road, and they've gone astray, they haven't loved the Lord, 
or even if they've loved the Lord, He's shown them that in those moments when they've disobeyed, when they've gone down the path they shouldn't be going, He brings them affliction in their life so that they can get back on the right path. Isn't that loving? Isn't that loving for God to do? Don't tell me about a God who if He's this or that way, how could He allow such a disaster? You tell me this, a loving God who brings affliction into our lives does so so that we can get back on the right path. Isn't that how you parent your children? When they get off the right path and they get onto those paths that you and I don't want them to go and we scream at them for our prayers to get on the right path. Well, guess what? God knows everything and He will bring circumstances in our lives, in our kids' lives, so that even while they're on the wrong path, His afflictions bring them back to a place where they need to be. That's a benefit of affliction. Don't see affliction as automatically and forever bad, evil, wicked, and I don't want anything to do with it. Don't look at affliction that way. Look at affliction as your friend. It's your friend because it moves you from an astrayed condition back to the right path. Learn how affliction produces my obedience. I... I, in our acrostic, incline my heart to see the benefits of affliction. Incline my heart to see the benefits of affliction. Look just a few verses later to verse 71. Verse 71. Now, he's going to rock our theology even more. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Good? You tell me good? You tell me cancer is good? You tell me an unsaved spouse is good? You tell me the losing of some part of my body to dementia is good? You mean to tell me that unsaved children that I've been praying for for years, if not decades, you tell me all of these circumstances in life are good? I simply quote Romans 8.28. And God causes all things together for good. Even if those things in and of themselves cannot be classified as good, inherently good, and they certainly are not in that sense, but they work together for our good. They work together in the grand providence of God so that you and I might learn the statutes of God. That's another synonym for the Word of God. I'm going along in my path and I'm not availing myself of the Word of God and I'm, I'm sort of, in a sense, trying to live my Christian life on autopilot or maybe myself as the co-pilot in the passenger seat, and I want the driver to move over so that I can drive now, thank you very much. And what God does is He brings affliction into our lives so that we can work toward getting out of the way because we're really not in control. And He brings afflictions into my life for which I can then begin to thank Him and praise Him for the benefits of such an affliction. Oh, look, we're not masochists. We're not saying, hey, bring on those afflictions, pal. I'll take it. Oh, it hurts so good. 
Nobody's saying that. We're not morose. This is not a macabre existence where we're just sort of looking at life fatalistically and, and, and we're seeing the, the, the outcome of this or that and we say, this is not right, this is not good, but if it has to come, so be it. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. No, not at all. That's actually to not only misunderstand, but misconstrue the very character of God. Because God in His character brings affliction into our lives to produce the good that affliction brings, and it brings the very benefit of learning His Word. That's, that's what it says. That I might learn your statutes. I have afflictions in my life so that, for the purpose that, I might learn your statutes. So what do I do? How do I pray? What's that, what's that verbal idea? Incline my heart. Incline my heart, Lord, to see the benefits of affliction. I, I, I know they're good in the sense that they produce good. I know that they will further conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 says. And God is drawing me closer to Christ-like conformity. And He's doing that in part through the afflictions that I'm being given so that I would learn better, more acutely, more comfort, more, more desire for your word in my life because your word gives me life. This is, this is this psalmist telling us how to live when you're up against affliction. See, see of affliction. Commend God's faithfulness in afflicting me. Oh, this is, this is so good. Commend, commend God's faithfulness in afflicting me. Look at verse 75. 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. They're just rules. Another synonym for God's word. I know that your, your word, uh, it's, it's righteous, it's just, it's, it's faithful, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness. See, how can you question the character of God when the Word of God says that He afflicts us by way of His faithfulness? That's not a bad word. That's not a curse word. When God faithfully afflicts us with whatever comes our way, it is to conform us to the image of His Son, which is the whole purpose to begin with. Isn't it so? The whole purpose of our life is to become more conformed to the image of Christ. The whole purpose of our life is so that we would be like Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, God also brings into our life at times the kind of afflictions, not just all the goodies, not just all the blessings, not just all the things that make me hum and sing all day long, but also the afflictions, also the things that try us. Also the things that God uses to develop patience and trust. All the things that increase my faith. All the things with faith like a, like a muscle. The, the faith muscle of God, I think, comes to us both in the good and in the faithfulness of His afflicting work in our lives. 
My muscle is being strengthened. My faith is being expressed in God. When I cry out to Him and say, No, Lord! No! And He comes back to me with that faithful hand and He says, Yes, my daughter. Yes, my son. It's for your good. I'm faithfully, as an all-wise creator, and as your heavenly Father, chiseling and fashioning and shaping you so that you will look just like the Son of God. And who doesn't want to look just like the Son of God? So what do you do? So I commend God's faithfulness. I don't kick against it. I don't kick against the goads. I don't reject it out of hand. That's the idea going back to someone who says, but I don't want that. That's not fair. That's not right. I will lose him. I will lose her. I will not receive that promotion. I will not have those material things that I otherwise want. You are not dealing fairly with me. You've given me this disease. You've given me this this cancer. You've given me this job and then you took it away. Whatever the circumstances are, whatever the family situation is, whatever's happening in anyone's individual life, and here's the great thing about preaching, the Holy Spirit takes what I say and the personal applicator of all truth, the Holy Spirit takes what I'm saying and He's penetrating into your heart and He's saying this, commend my faithfulness to you in however I'm bringing it to you. Because He knows far better than we do what you and I need to grow. Here's yet another. Take supreme delight in God's Word during the very height of my affliction. So, awaken my soul according to God's Word. Fortify my strength according to God's Word. Fix my comfort on God's promised Word. Learn how affliction produces my obedience. Incline my heart to see the benefits of affliction. Commend God's faithfulness in afflicting me. And take supreme delight in God's Word, God's law, during the very height of my affliction. Look at verse 92. Verse 92. This is tremendous truth, my friends. If your law, that's that synonym for God's word, if your word, if your law, if your Torah, that's that's a, a word that encompasses the whole of God's revelation, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. There is nothing like the balm of God's word into the hurting soul. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. You, you know that experience, don't you? That when there is nowhere else to turn, there's no one else to talk to. That's why Psalm 119.24 is so precious. Thy testimonies, they are my delights. They're my counselors. I mean, I love friends who come to me and texts and emails and phone calls and all of the communication that we have possible and people are saying, we're praying and we're praying this and, and, and we want you to know this and I delight in it, but I have greater delight in availing myself of God's word when it says, they are my counselors. There's no counselor who's a better counselor than the counselor of the word of God. No better counselor. 
So where do you go when affliction awaits you, when affliction is upon you, when affliction, affliction seems to be not only at your doorstep, but in your very mind as it seeks to take control of you? Where do you go? Who do you talk with? What do you say? If you don't pick up that Bible, then you're saying there are other sources that I would rather turn to. There are persons, even Christian persons, and we love them, and we appreciate them, and the body of Christ is there for us, but there's nothing in the supremacy of a Christian friend unless he's also challenging you and me to go to that self-same word, right? And that's what you could do. When you know someone is hurting, you take the Word of God, and you so have it deeply ensconced in your own life that when they are hurting... You give them the counsel of the Word of God. Pray for them and counsel them with the Word of God. Take supreme delight in God's Word. That's what he says. If your law hadn't been my delight, my delight all the day, I would have perished in my affliction. Here's the next one. Invigorate my life with Scripture when I am most severely afflicted. This is right on the heels of this invigorate my life with Scripture. That's your prayer. That's your prayer to the Lord. Lord, invigorate my life with Scripture when I'm most severely afflicted. Look at verse 107. Here's what the psalmist says. And by the way, he's using this word afflicted, as I said, over and over and over again, which means he's not yet out of the affliction, right? He, He keeps going underneath the affliction and he keeps talking about it because he's honest with God and here's what he says I am severely afflicted sorely afflicted greatly afflicted exceedingly afflicted give me life O Lord revive me O Lord make me stand upright O Lord how? according to your word according to your word You say, this guy sounds like a broken record. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. Because we so easily forget to avail ourselves of that precious word. Or it becomes so familiar to us that we say, oh yes, 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 I know the passages, but I need help. It's these very passages that will give you the help you need invigorate my life with Scripture. Let it, let it flow. You know, the picture in my mind is of John Bunyan who spent 12 years in a British prison because he was preaching the gospel. And at that time, they were ejecting Puritan pastors from their pulpits because they wouldn't do everything in the, the church order of their service. That was part of it. And, and, and they, couldn't, they couldn't stand these Puritans. And so they, they decided uh, to rearrange everything that you had to do in church in a certain way. And if you didn't do that in church in a certain way, you do this now, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. And if you don't do that, you're going to be ejected from your pulpits and some of you will be incarcerated. And John Bunyan, the great author of Pilgrim's Progress, spent 12 years in that Bedford prison. And when he was there, and when he was sorely afflicted, he wrote the great Pilgrim's Progress. And as he was there, 
and as he was separated from his family, and as he became such a noble servant of the Lord, it was said of him, even Spurgeon accorded this about Bunyan, that when he bleeds, he bleeds Bibline. He's just, he's just oozing with Scripture. Why? Because you're in that damp prison. You don't have anything else. There is no other recourse. Just bring me the parchment, Paul says. Just bring me the parchments. Bring me the Word of God. Invigorate my life with it. Next to last, observe God's precious commandments in my worst trouble and anguish. Observe God's precious commandments in my worst trouble and anguish. Verse 143. Trouble and anguish could also be the word affliction there. Trouble and anguish have found me, but your commandments are my delight. Oh, praise God. I mean, look, trouble will find you. Trouble is looking for you and it's going to find you at the noon hour. Grief is there. It will dog your every step. Affliction is right at the doorbell. Temptation is looking at Satan through the keyhole. And you're yielding to the temptation not to read God's Word, is opening that door and letting Satan in. That's, that's what you're doing. If you don't avail yourself of God's Word, then you're allowing Satan to ply his trade of temptations about your life and to you, and you must counteract that with the Word of God. You've got to observe His precious commandments in your worst trouble and anguish. This is, this is what Ephesians 6 talks about when it talks about the spiritual warfare, the armor of God, right? It says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you're not using your sword in all of your trouble and anguish, then you're trying to fight against Satan with a BB gun. You're trying to withstand the one who is more cunning than you, more powerful than you, who will seek to tempt you not to trust God, not to avail yourself of His Word. And if you observe His precious commandments, the Word of God, from God the Father Himself, through Christ, in the power of your the, the Spirit of God, you can go through any trouble, any anguish, and God will deliver you, even if He doesn't deliver you in this life, but in the life to come. Lastly, never forget God's ability through His Word to deliver you from many afflictions. Never forget. Never forget God's ability through His Word to deliver you from your afflictions. Look at verse 153. This is nearing the end of this great psalm. And the psalmist says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. You know, this is the perfect balance. This is the perfect balance. The psalmist... He's, he's crying out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, look on my affliction. Don't turn your face away. Please hear me. I'm crying out to you. I'm beseeching you. 
Those are all great action points on the part of the believer. Lord, do you know of my struggle? Do you know my heart? Do you know what I want for my loved ones? Do you know what I want for this wicked world? Please remember me. Please come to me. Please deliver me. Those are all righteous prayers, honest prayers, transparent prayers. Don't, don't throw off, and this, is, this may sound strange coming from me, who's a believer wholeheartedly with every fiber of my being in the sovereignty of God. Don't throw this off to some view of sovereignty that says, don't pray prayers like that. Don't pray prayers like that. Lord, deliver me. Lord, look to me. Lord, come to my aid. Look, if you don't pray that way, you don't have life. Don't don't throw it off onto sovereignty. Well, God's just going to do what God's going to do. No, sir. No, sir. What God does is often through what you and I do when we pray. He chooses to use our prayers in the answers to our prayers. Why isn't it like that? It is because Paul himself, Paul, the great believer in the sovereignty of God, the one who preaches the doctrine of election from from Ephesians 1, the one who is totally committed to the idea of the ultimate, all-knowing, all-sovereign God, still says to his compatriots, pray for me. Pray for me. If he didn't think it mattered, why was he saying it? If he didn't think it meant anything, why was he asking them? If he didn't think it was going to be efficacious, if he didn't think the prayers of the righteous were going to accomplish much, then why was he asking them to pray for him? Of course he believed in prayer. Of course we believe in prayer. And we believe that prayer moves the very heart of God to answer such prayers for his glory and according to his will. Never forget God's ability to deliver you and me from our afflictions. I do not forget your law. I hope this has been encouraging. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, you are are granting us grace even in the moment. You're filling our hearts with gratitude because we don't don't serve a a God who doesn't care. We don't serve a God who's flippant about our needs. We don't serve a God who brings us to a place of getting us down and discouraged only to see us languish there. We have a loving, gracious, heavenly Father who wants us to be encouraged. When we ask for bread, we're not given a stone. When this wick is smoldering, we don't have an unjust Savior who cares little about our lives. He comes to encourage us. When there's a bruised reed, He doesn't just take it out of the flute and throw it away as useless comes to us in our need. He allows us to know of His comfort even in the midst of our affliction. And He does so supremely and only through His Word. And You are that God. Please let us pour over the Scripture. 
We want to know the path of life. And you have given it to us. You've revealed it to us. Your revelation through your word gives us the answers we need. And we pray that your word and our prayers, quoting your word back to you, will be so comforting to an afflicted soul like ours. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your love for us. If there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, you've heard me talk about Christ today. You've heard me talk about this Son of God, the Savior. You've heard me speak of the Father and His graciousness. You've heard me talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are saying in your heart, I don't, I don't know Him. I don't know these persons. And I want to encourage you to, as your head is bowed, I want you to cry out to Him. You, you don't have to use fancy words. You don't have to pray the kinds of prayers like the preacher. You can just cry out to Him. Deliver me. Just like the psalmist. Deliver me. I want to be saved from the wrath to come. I, I want to know this Christ that you say, Lance, you serve. I, I, want, to, I want to have a life that honors God and I don't want to presumptuously say that I control my destiny. I don't control anything. I want Christ. I must have Christ. Then just place your trust, your confidence, your faith in Him and Him alone and He will save you from your sins. He, he, he died on that cross. He, he was buried and He was raised again on the third day according to God's Word and He comes to grant life to those who would acknowledge that in and of themselves they have no capacity to handle this life on their own. And you will pray, maybe even as some of you are praying now, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me. Deliver me. I'm afflicted. I'm lost. And I want to thank you for finding me. Oh Lord, save people today by your goodwill and for your gracious providence. Use the afflictions in our lives, not only as individuals, but as a church. Use these things to turn lives around for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, and our friend. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen.